Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to the new year and to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I'm Joy Rios, and today my guest is Tina Balenson. She's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Seven Starling, which is a new digital platform and membership program for new and expectant parents. Seven Starling makes doulas and peer group support more accessible to parents everywhere, which creates a digital community-led experience that's improving maternal health outcomes. I really, really enjoyed the conversation that I had with Tina and think you will too. So let's get started. Thank you for joining me today, Tina. It's really nice to get to spend this time with you. And I'm really looking forward to getting to know more about you and what your organization does. But can you take a moment to introduce yourself and talk about like your place in the healthcare ecosystem? Yeah, definitely. First of all, thank you for having me on. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I'm so thrilled to be here. My name is Tina Balenson. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Seven Starling. And Seven Starling is a platform that is making high-quality maternal care more accessible for all families. So what we do is that we connect expecting and new parents with an experienced doula that facilitates them throughout the whole journey. We also connect them with a small peer group of five to seven other parents in the same stage of either similar due date or delivery date. And the whole experience is guided by our curriculum that covers everything from childbirth education, 
newborn care, postpartum recovery, and also all the different mental health challenges that can come up throughout this time. And so it's really meant to be a place where you can get education and social support and really easily accessible expert advice. So how did you come up with the idea? Like, where did it come from? And it seems like I've been checking out your website. I'm super impressed, but I'm like, okay, how did it start? Totally. No, it's a great question. So my co-founders and I were three women. We actually met in business school. And one of the things that really inspired us was the inherent community that forms when a child is brought into the world. And we you know, thought a lot about how for generations, there has been so much support that has come from your extended family, your friends, your neighbors have rallied around you when you are pregnant or just had a baby. And a lot of those support structures just don't exist today. So the journey today for a lot of expecting new parents can be really overwhelming and really isolating. And so for us, we were really inspired to build a platform that was really centered and grounded in community being the basis of what we do. And then amplifying all of that with education and expertise to help guide parents along this sometimes overwhelming and so that is where that all came from and stemmed from. And we've learned so much along the way throughout the past couple of years. I was really, I like the name of your organization, so Seven Starling. And that, and it reminds me of a time that I was in, I got to see one of those murmurs of the birds yes. that all fly yes. together. I had a, such a memorable day in Rome back in like literally the year 2000. And it was just like probably a million of those birds just flying all over the city. And I read something on on your website around like how those birds connect and how they stay together and follow. So can you take us through that explanation real quick? I love this question because we're not asked about it. So the company was inspired by starlings, which is a type of bird that is most well known for creating these beautiful murmurations in the sky. It's when hundreds of birds come together to form these beautiful shape-shifting patterns. And one of the things that really brings them together and how they stay cohesive is actually by following their seven closest neighbors. And it's actually a rule in science. There's a ton of research behind it about how they follow these Seven birds are closest to them and stay cohesive as a group. So we're really inspired by this image and concept because it connotes the fact being bigger than yourself, being bigger, tying yourself to community and staying together and creating something really beautiful and really powerful. But it also inspires this idea of freedom in your healthcare journey and empowerment and this sense of being in control, but community really guiding the way. So that's kind of how the name came to be. I love that because when you see them, it almost, if you're just sitting and watching the shape of clouds and trying to picture like what clouds look like or whatever, it's like that, but in fast forward, like it's like super. Totally. And it's, it's like jaw dropping when you see it. And I really like the way that you're explaining it because it makes, it, I can imagine, all I can do is imagine being a bird, but, but that idea of feeling safe in your surroundings, but also, wow, how far you get to go and what cool things you get to do together. And so I'll take add something personal for me just because I love the concept of community because I get to participate in other people's motherhood journey as like this adopted aunt figure or godmother figure without having children of my own. And I like the concept of what you're doing because it includes people like me. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have so many actually family members, friends, colleagues that 
gift seven starling to their expecting a new friends or family members. And it's such an amazing gift because first of all, it's different from your, you know, the normal kind of baby shower gift. And you want to give something more meaningful. You want to give something that actually is helping the mother, which there's just unfortunately not enough of when you think about baby showers, all the focus is on the baby, which is so exciting. But I think what is lost in that is like, how are we supporting the mother? And there's such a big conversation right now happening in the US about how do we support mothers? What are we doing to support mothers? And so this is just like a really nice way to acknowledge that you need a support system, especially when it comes to postpartum and like providing that for someone that you love. It can be so meaningful. Well, and it sounds like you're connecting them with a doula, which is not something that all expectant moms get to have. So that's that in and of itself is unique, but then also connecting them to peers that are in, like you said, the same stage of pregnancy. So they've got yeah. somebody to, to like, and how big are those groups? And are they yeah. somehow like located close to them? Do they ever get to meet in person or is it a hundred percent virtual on like on an app? Yeah. Great question. So the doula, yes, we connect and match the expecting new parent with the doula. And doulas are non-medical professionals and they're best known to provide emotional, informational, psychological support and are proven to improve birth outcomes. They're super powerful members of your support team. But a lot of people can't access those people because they tend to be really expensive and finding a doula can be really open. And so what we do is we actually can match you with a doula that is best fit for you in terms of your goals, in terms of your background and what you're looking for and also just personality fit. We've learned so much about how we match people together to make that really powerful. And the other piece of the equation is, of course, these support peer groups. So in our peer groups, the average size is seven, which is tied back to our seven starling name. And it really is a powerful number because if you think about it, it strikes this perfect balance of there being enough people to create conversation and discussion and get a variety of perspectives. But it's not too small where people feel like the spotlight is on them to continue the conversation so you don't feel a burden, but it's not too many where you start to lose that close intimacy of developing a real relationship with people. And so seven is this really powerful number and our groups are no more than 10. We try to keep it between five to 10 on average, seven being the perfect number of people. And it's all folks that are within a few weeks of your due date or delivery date. And of course, as we make those matches, we take into the same considerations around what are your birth goals? Like, what are you trying to achieve? What is your profile and background? And also what is your cultural affinity? And also like sexual identity and other characteristics that might make your birth and postpartum journey different from others and ways in which you can really connect with other people in your group based on your shared experiences. So is it all online or do these folks ever get to meet in person? I guess it's yeah, so we're Yeah, so today we're 100% digital and virtual. We did found the company during the pandemic. And one of the key needs was the fact that people felt so isolated, especially being pregnant, especially being new mothers. It was so isolating. So having that community is really important. We are starting to think about creating localized groups where people can meet up. We actually had one of our groups recently meet in person. They actually crossed state borders to meet because they had developed such incredible bonds with each other and they wanted to meet each other's babies and meet in person and to build that relationship, which is incredible to see. They're willing to go so far to do that. And so it's something that we know is powerful, but we also want to acknowledge the fact that if 
by not being totally local, we can also provide better matches and find people that you can really connect with on these other aspects. So some people might find it important and we can optimize for that. And for others, we can you know, use our entire network to make those matches. So that's like the technical side is something I'm also interested in. Are you guys, are you guys hand matching all of these different groups and with the doulas or is there an algorithm that's involved and you're, you're like relying on set, some tech to do that? So we've been historically doing a lot of hand matching because we've been learning a ton about what makes a good match, what makes a good a group tick. What is that secret sauce to like making these meaningful connections happen virtually? As we know, with just even working virtually, like that can happen, but it takes time. And what we've gotten really good at is what makes those groups tick and how do you build and facilitate discussions in a way that break the barriers faster? My other question is like, how do you facilitate those conversations? Are there prompts? Is it something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And let me, I'll finish on the, on the matching piece and then we'll definitely chat about how we facilitate. So with all of the matching that we've done to date, we've collected a ton of data on the profiles of our different users and the groups what groups have worked well, what groups have not, and created some really meaningful hypotheses around that. And so our next step and currently what we're working on is actually developing an algorithm, as you mentioned, to like make this a feel a bit more automated. But obviously, like in the early stage of any company, there's a lot of like hand matching and like trial and error that happens. But the ultimate goal and path is to get to a point where you can make those meaningful matches happen automatically. And then on the group facilitation part, we put a ton of work into this and it's something that I think is actually the secret sauce of the company and what makes for an amazing experience. We've been inspired by Centering Pregnancy, which is in-person group care model that was started honestly like probably over 20 years ago by midwives. And they use a number of facilitation techniques to inspire conversation and education. And we've taken a lot of inspiration from that and integrated some of those learnings into our curriculum. But we also have learned from even just watching the sessions and seeing what types of prompts really resonate with people, what types of topics people want to talk about, how to train our doulas who are not traditionally the ones that are providing this type of care, how to train them and how to bring people in and how to inspire discussion, how to be, how to provide some level of vulnerability and like share so that it inspires others too. Those are all different types of techniques that we use and we've gotten good at to support this kind of like bond, like building capability that we have. That's all very cool. I'm super impressed. And also looking at your, like, I'm like, you're also like super inclusive and really like in upfront and intentional about being inclusive. Not all birthing moms are women or identify yeah. as women. Is that something you can also touch on? Absolutely. That is so core to what we're all about. And our mission is to democratize access to high quality care for all families. And we talk about the word all a lot. <laughs> the fact that no birthing journey is the same. No, every person's background and experiences shape the way that they approach pregnancy and postpartum. And we don't want to provide any sort of bias to what that should be. What we're all about is providing you with the evidence-based information, an expert that is non-judgmental and a peer support group that has a variety of perspectives. So you can feel in control and empowered to make the decisions that are best for you. We do not want to tell you how and 
how you should and do things, right? So that is so core to what we do. And from day one, we've made an effort to be welcoming and friendly environment for people to come and say, oh, I can see myself here. I can see myself being welcome here. I, I can be vulnerable because what makes our service, I think, so powerful is having that trust from day one that you are accepted. We're not going to judge you. You can openly talk about the things that you're going through and that is okay. And not a lot of platforms. There's not a lot of platforms and safe spaces to do that. No, I feel like you're in a position to say, hey, you're going to find your next best friend with us. (laughs) Oh yeah. We've had... I can't even tell you the number of our members that have said that already. Like, I have friends for life. We've had groups that have been with us for over 12 months and we've had to continue creating curriculum just for them because, and frankly, they get to a point where they don't even want to talk about the (laughs) education that we have lined up. They just want to chat and and share what they're going through, talk about their problems and talk about the things that are going well and are exciting. And they just have these special bonds. They also have special bonds with their doula because they see them as like a core part of that puzzle. And honestly, like, that's what we ultimately want to get to. Of course, we're not telling people come here and make friends, but it's a great part. It's a great benefit. But it's like a real community, like a true community. And that's not something yeah. that just goes away once you've you know had your baby. Totally. Yeah. And I think as you look at tech platforms today and the fact that a lot of them can be very toxic, there's these huge forums and platforms and groups where people have a layer of anonymity. And we see this with even parent forums. And there's so much judgment and toxicity that exists in those. And that is like exactly what we're trying to get away from and create a space for who these people are. You're actually meeting them bi-weekly live in, in a session and you're talking openly and sharing and you have community values that you sign up to at the very start of the program. And that's so important to us that we're like we're getting away from this like toxic environment and building and using technology to actually foster a meaningful connection, which is I think always what we wanted to aspire to, but is a lot harder to get to and has yeah. to be really deliberate. It has to be intentional and deliberate. It's so much easier said than done. So I'm commending you and your team for creating something like such with such a big idea. And I guess to that point, can we talk about you for a minute and your personal journey? Like, how did you get here? We talked a little bit about how this started. You seem relatively young. Like, did you know when you were 10 that this is what you wanted to do? I knew when I was 10 that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I'll go to the very beginning. So I was born in Kazakhstan and my family is from Kazakhstan. And when I was two, the Soviet Union collapsed. My family is also Jewish. And being Jewish in the Soviet Union was extremely difficult. We were discriminated against. My family's experienced violence. And so the second we could leave, we got out. We were granted asylum into the US and we moved to the US when I was six years old. And my parents, being the like hustlers that they are, they didn't know any English. We had two suitcases with us, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna, you know, kind of figure out our way." And they started actually small businesses. My mom started teaching tennis because she grew up playing tennis, and she was quite good in the Soviet Union. Started teaching lessons, and my dad honestly just started like figuring out things that he could sell, and started like making connections and figuring out a living that way. And so watching my parents kind of work through that journey so young and seeing how they are able to take control of their destiny 
through entrepreneurship and now build like meaningful small businesses in our community and employ other immigrants in our community has been so inspiring to me. And I frankly didn't know anything else growing up. That was like the only career path is just starting something and figuring it out. I've seen them fail time and time again, but they've always picked up and kept going. And that's something that's been really inspiring to me. Now, I will say that for me to become an entrepreneur, they were like, absolutely not. Like we came here so you can have this stable, sure way of growing and making a living and building a life. Like, why are you going to do this crazy thing after all that we've done? But here we are. So I did not start a company right after I graduated. So I joined, I was in consulting right after I graduated from Denison, which is a smaller liberal arts school in Ohio, where I went to college. Spent a couple of years in consulting is a great way to get going. And then I broke into the startup world. I quickly realized in consulting that I am very much driven by mission and impact. And so I was very lucky to join Warby Parker in the early days. So I joined Warby um, probably a couple of years into the life of the company. And is an amazing place to be because Warby was at this inflection point of not really being known outside of New York at that point. But clearly about to take off. And so I spent six years there and I joined at this really cool stage where I was part of all of the major growth initiatives at the company to take it to where it is today. So I worked directly with the co-founders, Neil and Dave, who I highly respect and seeing them build a company that was for profit, but also do good Mm -hmm. and think about how they actually scaled and built a company from those early days and the decisions that they made was so impactful. One of the key things that I worked on was thinking about how do we take Warby from a consumer brand to one that's focused more on providing more access to vision care. And I did that through structuring different partnerships with insurance companies and, and also thinking about benefits space and also in launching our first digital health service. So got to do a lot of stuff and it was an amazing ground, a breeding ground to think about how I would start my own company. What a great opportunity and experience because to be able to see them from the inside and literally how they're growing, how they grew, that must have just given you so much insight into well, being able to take the lessons of what to do and what not to do and all of those things. That's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it was honestly the best experience I can imagine to... And also think I got to work on pretty much every part of the company from supply chain to strategy to retail to e-commerce and thinking about how all those pieces come together and how to prioritize effectively in terms of what you focus on in each stage, what kind of hires to make. I saw it all. Honestly, with Neil and Dave, what's hard is they very rarely made mistakes. So it honestly was one of those experiences where I'm like, okay, it's hard to replicate that. But it was an amazing place to see and learn from leaders that I really That must have also taken a lot of the fear out of doing of trying to do it on your own. See, having such a good model that you could at least implement some of what you learned and reapply it. I'm sure that's just been a Absolutely. Huge Absolutely. And I think I think for me, my major takeaway at the end of that experience was it's so important to build experience that is centered around the customer and like really understanding the pain points of the customer and what that journey is. And in looking to healthcare, I think a lot of times that's really what's missing is this patient-centered view and perspective and building something that 
patients people actually want to use, enjoy using, that brings them joy. And that's something that I just don't see a lot of, especially in the women's health space. And we're so behind there. It's so archaic. And so I was really inspired to take a crack at it and think about how can I build something that I would want to use, that I would love to use, that I would get joy from, and of course, have an impact. Yeah, I've heard how the whole healthcare system described as, hey, we've set up this ecosystem and you're going to, as a patient, you need to fit in with what we've created. And it's certainly not the other way around, that we're going to model ourselves or shift to meet your needs. And Definitely, definitely. <laughs> it's really frustrating. And I think what we constantly have to balance is the fact that like, we are not going to change the system overnight. Right. Mm-hmm. The system, sadly, is the way it is. And it's going to take a long time to change that. But what we can do is empower the patient with information. We can help activate them and make them in more control of their experience to know what to expect and to anticipate and to know what questions to ask and understand their options. That can greatly change the outcome for many people because unfortunately, people just don't have access to a lot of that information today. They're not empowered to take control because many of us do trust our doctors and we should, but we also have to understand that like, we also have options and it's important to feel empowered in that journey. It seems like you're also empowering, not you're empowering patients, but it seems like you're also empowering your team and the, the people that are working with you as well. And the next question I want to ask you is about, I've been really liking the answers to this particular question, which is like, what advice, if you could think of either yourself as like a 22 or 23 year old, or just somebody else who's starting their career journey, what would you offer them to empower them to be successful? Oh my gosh. Honestly, I always tell this to people that are just starting their careers. And this is the time to take risks and learn as much as you possibly can. So I'm really happy personally. Starting consulting was great and laid a really helpful foundation. But that next step, I'm so happy that I chose to do something that was more risky, an environment that was uncertain. At the time, my parents were extremely worried about me just jumping ship from a stable consulting job to doing something like a startup that they've never heard of. But you know what? The amount that I got out of that experience was incredible. And so being really willing and open-minded to maybe this isn't the right perfect role for me, but thinking more about who is this, what is this company and what am I going to learn? Do I believe in the company? Who are the leaders of this company and the team? What is it going to be like to work with them? Because I will tell you, I started at Warby as a project manager in our our e-commerce team. And the journey I had was certainly not focused on that. And so I think being taking out those opportunities that will really stretch you and will really allow you to try a different number of things that have more risk associated with them, but also a lot of reward is something I would highly encourage, especially if you are someone that's interested in entrepreneurship and want to actually see what it's all about. I, I love that. And I, I also think that there's a lot to be learned in failing. That even if you try something and you take this big risk and, and 
you don't get the reward that maybe you were hoping or, or expecting to get. But I bet you're going to get some level like of either confidence or lesson learned. Or you're going to have gained some sort of knowledge that you'll be able to apply to whatever is next in your life. 100%. And I think that in your early career, failure is actually... It's almost not going to happen because in your career, learnings are so much more valuable than whatever specific outcome or metric you're going to drive. It's it's really about the learning that you're getting in terms of like what you enjoy doing and like actually how companies manage through tough challenges and opportunities. And that is so meaningful. And it really resonates with me because when I thought about the idea of starting this company, you weigh the pros and cons, right? And you think about how am I... Can I take you know, a failure? What will happen if this doesn't go how I expect? And of course, 99% of startups fail. It's mm-hmm. just reality. And so you have to be really comfortable with that. And for me, it's all about what motivated me to start the company is not only the impact, but also the learning that I will get from this experience. And knowing that no matter what happens, I'm going to come out of this being a better person, better professional. And I can say that the amount that I've learned just in the last year and a half has been exponential to my entire career. If you look at it that way, there's really no downside, but you have to be prepared because it's from a mental health perspective, it's real. Well, I like the idea of shifting our relationship with failure altogether. Like instead of it being something that we're afraid of, being like turning it into something that you could get excited about. Oh, guess what? I tried this thing and I totally bombed. I failed, but guess what? I'm going to try again or try something new. And then like, it's not a bad, if you're going to get good at anything, you have to start at sucking at it. <laughs> it doesn't like you start new. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually just read, yeah, I just read an article today about how so many women decide not to pursue entrepreneurship because they feel like they have to be ready and check all these boxes before they go out and do it. And in the meantime, there's you know so many men that come into some of these VC pitches with just an idea on a napkin and are ready to go. And I think it's because we set such a high bar for ourselves because we want to come off as polished and prepared and don't want to let anyone down. But I think it's also holding us back. And I find myself doing that too. I am constantly over-prepared. Sometimes I try to push myself to say, okay, it doesn't have to be perfect, but just get it done. And- you can always improve upon it. Like A lot of times, is, is it good enough? Is it good enough to get you to the next exactly. step? Yeah. Tina, thank exactly. you so much. Like, I really, I'm truly impressed by you, your story, and what it is you're doing and the service that you're providing to the, the community and creating community. I know how hard that is. It's hard work. So thank hard. You for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> thank people, you so much for having me on. Yeah, totally. But if people want to find you or work with you or connect with Seven Starling or sign up for it, where would you direct them? Yeah, absolutely. So first is sevenstarling.com. You can find us there and read all about um, what we do. We're also on Instagram at join7starling. And then if you want to connect with us, please email partnerships at sevenstarling.com. And we're very excited. We're actually building out um, our partnerships at the moment. So would love to chat with anyone. Awesome. Thank you again for your time. And we'll talk again soon, I hope. I am really excited to follow your journey. Thank you so much, Joy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon.
This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.